In this week's episode, we're speaking with Gabriele Gab Galassi, a business psychologist and trainer who is owner of the Business Psychology Network and a board member at the same time of the Association for Business Psychology in London, and he has responsibility for training. This is episode 19 of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Here's the music. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the podcast for you, for training business owners just like you all around the world, people whose goal it is to start to grow and to scale their training business And the goal of this podcast, of course, every Thursday is to help you with your training business. Today, we have Gab Galassi on the show. As you'll hear, Gab is a business psychologist and trainer. I've worked with Gab most recently on a training project in Barcelona in Spain. Uh, Gab delivered the coaching uh, part of it, and I delivered the sales training part of the program. That was to a medical client. I, I will mention the name on the show because that client is not my client. But Gab is, of course, passionate about psychology, as you'd expect from a business psychologist. And of course, he's passionate about training, which is no surprise because he's a board member of the Association for Business Psychology with responsibility specifically for training. So if you have more than a passing interest in business psychology, you're going to like this. Without further ado, let's meet Gab. Hi, Gab, and welcome to the program. Hello. So you're normally based in London. That's where your business is. But today you're uh, vacationing on the beautiful Italian island of Sardinia in the Med. Yes, yes, I am. It's um, it's half a vacation. Like um, we, we have um, a small house here. So what I say is I have relocated the business um, to Sardinia temporarily because um, I am working, but like in the morning, um, I do a lot of design and, um, and and all the things that I can do remotely. Um, and then I go to the beach in the afternoon. So it's a hard life. Yeah, I just wanted to point out. But someone has to do it, I guess. <laughs> exactly. So what's it like there today in terms of weather? It's uh, great. It's uh, it's an island, so um, it's 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 very hot, but there's always um, some some breeze. I am in the um, the northern tip of the island, so overlooking Corsica, and the sea here uh, can get pretty pretty rough. Um, it's uh, open Mediterranean, so it's it's nice because it actually keeps things um, under control in terms of uh, in terms of temperature. Um, it's always sunny; it never rains, uh, not in the summer. Um, so it's it's beautiful. It's perfect. It's a it's a it's it's a magical land. It's really special. So you can see Corsica from where you are. Yes, yes, I can. Yeah. So there's just um, a few. Well, not from my house, um, but um, you know, there's um, the the entire coast um, around uh, the town where I am. You can see. Uh, well, there's a bunch of uh, very very small islands and and rocks. Uh, between Sardinia and, and Corsica. They're beautiful, by the way. You can visit them on a boat. And then you can see, uh, and then you can see the big uh, cliffs. Um, they look very much like, um, like the, the cliffs in the, um, in the south of England. And they look very much like those. 
but then the sea is not it is not the North Sea, it's the Mediterranean, so it's beautiful. It's uh it's blue and you can swim in it. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbing it in. Okay. <laughs> well, look, let's get down to business. Um looking at your your profile, which is actually very, very interesting, you were formerly a VP uh head of Benelux, which is Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, three countries in Europe. And also uh, VP for 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 Europe, Pan Europe for BBC Worldwide, before becoming the global organisational development manager at the BBC. What exactly did you do there? Um, well, something crazy. Some people would say I uh, uh, I always introduce myself as um, somebody with a past. Uh, I always say before retraining as a business psychologist, I I was in the business for a long time. Um, in the media industry, um, so that's um, the last um, the last job I had in the business. And the the nice thing about it was that I I had my own team, and um, I loved um, spending time with them, helping them develop, uh, being a coach, being a mentor, um, and just um, being in charge, if you like, of facilitating their development uh, and uh, and improving their performance. It was just so. Um, nice for me, and uh, I just realized at a point that I I loved um, that more than I loved making money or you know thinking about the next uh, big job in the business. And is that what inspired you to make the transition from media into organizational and personal development? Yeah, so there was um, there was a vacancy in HR at BBC, and they were looking for. Um, they were looking for somebody who would be uh, in charge of the development of the entire business division of BBC uh, outside of the UK. So that's basically what BBC Worldwide does. So the uh, it's not even called BBC Worldwide anymore. It's called uh, BBC Studios now. Uh, but that's you know the commercial arm of of BBC. And so they they were looking for somebody. Who could do um, the the training program um, and 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 a training strategy around all of the sales teams uh, from Los Angeles to Sydney and everything in between? Um, and it was a great opportunity. I I was also doing quite well, so I was up for a promotion. Uh, but the promotion was um, was somehow linked to still you know this uh, business career that I had. So I just stopped everybody and I just said, look, okay, so. Uh, it sounds like I'm doing fine and you guys like me. Um, what about, you know, I don't um, go for the job that we're discussing, uh, but I actually uh, go for the vacancy in HR. And nobody had thought about it. Um, nobody actually knew that I would be interested in, in it. And so I, um, yeah, just said, yeah, I am interested, but what about giving me an opportunity? And and that's how we started. I mean, um Conditional to that job, um, there was also uh, the uh, the well the pact that I would have to um, get a degree in business psychology. So that that's why I actually um, did my masters because uh, they offered me the job, but um, at the same time, my my then manager said um, we're gonna we're gonna pay for your for your masters, but we want you to uh, um, get a degree in business psychology if you want to continue uh, down this route. And so, yeah, my my contract was, you know, this new job as a, as a global OD manager, but also a lot of studying. Mm. So you have a master's of science in education and 
another master's in occupational and business psychology, right? Yes. So what was it like to study for those? Because I'm, I have a, I have an MBA, a master's, but I mean, t- to take on two master's, that, that's some achievement. Yeah, it was, uh, it was nonstop um, for many years. Um, this master's in education I had already done out of interest and um, out of personal interest, if you like. Um, it was very much linked with um, the social um, role of education. Uh, in modern society. And uh, it was something I would have never allowed myself to study when I was 20 because it didn't really have any business implication or or any use for me in terms of um, career development. So I just did it because I wanted to. It was tough because it was the first time I studied abroad and um, <clears throat> knowing the English language wasn't enough uh, to, um, to, to, to feel like I had a chance, uh, especially at the beginning. But then, you know, everything worked out and it was a good, ex- good experience. Um, after that, I did a, a teacher training um, and then I went for the business psychology study, which, to be fair, was quite tough. But um, at the same time, it was uh, amazing because everything that I saw. So I did the, the part time um, route. And that implied basically going to lectures on Saturdays and Sundays and then um, studying in my own free time, which was usually on a plane or in in the evening. Um, So everything I did, everything I studied, I could apply to my day-to-day job because by then I was ready um, in HR uh, working as um, Global OD. So I think... um, the business psychology studying was actually a great experience, and the um, the final dissertation, um, my my piece of research, was also um, a very very uh, nice experience. It was extremely interesting, uh, and it had so many real pragmatic applications into training and uh, and everything else that I was doing back then. That yeah, it just worked out. It was very tiring though. Yeah, it, it sounds like a hell of a lot of work. So, so congratulations. Um, I have toyed with the idea of doing something. Uh, I'm not sure if another master's would be appropriate, but perhaps uh, at some point a DBA or a PhD. But um, that that's for another day's discussion. Currently, you run your own consultancy firm, the Business Psychology Network. Um, how, how do you apply your skills as a business psychologist to? learning and development yeah that's a very it's a very good question and so i on the, on the side i um i lecture uh at kingston university on training and development and um so i basically look at the um, academic framework for for training um what's the the academic case um for 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 training and and, and learning and so i always tell my students is um, it's a matter of uh, of being scientific uh, and evidence based about how we approach um, how we, we approach our job. So I think um, you know the, the 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 job title, if you like, of business psychologist is something that is not regulated, just like uh, the coach or um, or the trainer itself, you know. But it actually, uh, so it's. Um, it's the same study route of occupational psychology, which is actually a, uh, a protected um, category and something regulated, but it's a much, much longer um, study path. You have to have a, a, a BA in psychology and then do the, the master's I did and then do 
and three more years of um, um, chartership um, studying in order to get your uh, final status of chartered on occupational psychologist. So business psychologist is anybody who um, applies um, the the science um, of psychology to um, the workplace. When it comes to training, I guess, um, there are some fundamental pillars. Um, so the first one is we don't deliver training off the shelves, um, but we, as much as possible, we run uh, a training needs analysis uh, with uh, the organization that we're working for. And uh, we try and challenge even, you know, those clients that call you and say, uh, I want somebody who delivers a negotiation course, and um, and and so the first uh, the first thing you do if, with your business psychology cap on is you ask um, why do you think you need something like that, and um, and where well what does good look like for your organization? So what are the standards that you would like to reach um, when it comes to negotiation, and where do you think your staff is at the moment? And training really is from from a, <clears throat> a more scientific, a more rational approach. Training is somewhere in between those two. So, what does good look like? Where are you now? Can we fill? Uh, can we bridge that gap uh, with training? Um, the second thing is designing on uh, designing training on the basis of um, evidence based um, research. So it's that idea that we don't just um, train with uh, material that we get um, off the internet or that we know uh, works in general when we run a certain type of course, certain frameworks or certain dynamics to be successful because it, they've actually been studied. And uh, it's actually been seen that uh, um, doing things in a certain way or learning um, a certain set of skills can get, you, can get you to positive results because it's been demonstrated. And then the last bit I would say is training evaluation. Um, a business psychologist would usually frown um, upon um, feedback sheets at the end of the training um, as, uh, as a good measure of, uh, of training evaluation because training evaluation is a lot more than that. And it's about understanding if the learning um, has been received um, and applied. I mean, there's a there's a long, long um, list of um, cases for feedback. You know, the the happy sheets um, to be part of that training evaluation. I believe um, they have a role to play in terms of marketing and um, and in terms of you know sustainability of the program. Because obviously, if people hate every second they spend with you, then it's going to be harder for them to to um, actually learn. But whether they liked the training or not usually does not mean that they learned something and they will apply it. So business psychology also has like a, a, a very, very deep um, uh, deposit of studies around how training evaluations should be run. Okay. Um, what are some of the challenges in running your own training business, your own business psychology business from day to day? Well, first, I guess... Um, Nobody knows what a business psychologist is or or what business psychology is. So they can kind of figure it out by the sound of it um, and the name itself. But then a lot of people are still like, uh, yeah, okay, that sounds okay. But what, you know, what does it mean? What do you actually do? So that's the first challenge. I never wanted to position myself as a trainer. 
that's mainly because that's not all I do. Um, I love people assessment. Um, I love HR consultancy in general. Um, I do uh, a bit of lecturing on the side. So there's a, there's a lot more to what I do. And really, the business psychologist is what, um, you know, includes all of the areas that I'm, that I'm interested in. And so I think the first challenge is even having a company called the Business Psychology Network, people are like, what, what is business psychology? So um, there's a bit of that. And I, I just, uh, you know, I've just noticed that for me also, it's, uh, it's as if, you know, until I get my first meeting and I can explain myself to my clients, uh, they will, uh, they will struggle to, uh, they will struggle to say, uh, okay, yeah, get on board. We completely understand what you do and, uh, and we want you in, you know? In all my years uh, in training and coaching, I've never been more aware of, of how things like mindfulness, um, resilience, coaching, and I'm a coach myself, and things like psychometrics are, are so topical. Um, perhaps it's just me, but I'm just struck by how, how frequently these things come up as requirements from companies, perhaps more than ever before. Why do you think psychology has become so important, particularly when it comes to the senior levels of an organization? I think um, there's been a lot of work on um, the, um, the promotion of um, psychological um, principles and you know, scientifically sound models from the side of occupational psychology associations like the, um, the division of occupational psychology um, that is run by the, the BPS, the, the British um, um, Psychological Society. Uh, but there's also been the, the ABP, so the, the Association for Business Psychology that, um, that I am also um, part of that you know, does a lot of work in promoting, um, in promoting those, um, those, those principles. Probably um, the internet as well, and and the way that we can that we can use it makes it so that um, uh, we can we can spread uh, research and uh, and certain principles um, around and uh, and I think you know certain magazines as well. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about you know the Harvard um, Business Review and other you know publications um, have started you know becoming really serious about using science for. Um, giving recommendation to managers and uh, and executives in the business. So, yes, I I, I did um, you know a um, I did a um, a session for uh, the MBA students at Imperial College some months ago, talking about uh, emotional intelligence and um, and you know and telling people actually also um, about the risks of um, applying psychology. Um, lightly um, to the things that we do in training, because actually when it comes to leadership, for example, emotional intelligence um, is, um, is really uh, popular. You know, there's a lot of talking around it. And, uh, and especially what Goldman said in, um, in one of his most famous articles um, and, uh, you know, the thousands of books that were written after that, that emotional intelligence is uh, more important than your um, than your IQ, and this idea that emotional intelligence is something that can be uh, first of all measured, and secondly, it can also be 
uh, raised and and built uh, in a person. And this is this is Daniel Goleman, the one of the uh, well, the proponents. Well, proponents perhaps is unkind. I would say creator of of the concept of EQEI. Um, I don't I don't I don't know if he can be um, you know described as as the creator because I mean uh, emotions um, have always been there and uh, and they've always been studied in. Uh, um, in, in psychology, but I think what he said that really started making a difference and, uh, and really caught up within the, um, you know, the training industry and, and, and leadership studies is that emotional intelligence is measurable. And secondly, emotional intelligence is something that you can actually uh, build um, in an individual. So if somebody doesn't show emotional intelligence, then there is a way to um, create this emotional intelligence in that individual. So a lot of psychologists would tell you that um, that is absolutely uh, uh, not right and that um, more than um, emotional intelligence as a, as a measurable um, thing, um, there is mm, the way that we use um, uh, our, our brain to make sense of our own emotions and to make sense of other people's emotions. And those things, um, those those traits in our personality are very much linked to very stable, consistent, and fixed um, uh, traits of our personality. Um, so uh, the idea is that probably there's not much that you can do around building um, emotional intelligence, but that uh, you can definitely uh, raise your awareness around how you make sense of emotions, uh, whether they're your own emotions or other people's emotions, and how you use them in order to be um, successful in relationships and successful in, in how you conduct yourself in, in your career. So there's a, lot of, um, um, there's a lot of inaccuracies as well out there. There's a lot of uh, pop psychology that is used um, in, uh, um, in training uh, that is not necessarily uh, there is not necessarily correct, um, but I think it's still good. I think it's still good that people have this conversation. It was really good. So with these um, MBA students, for example, it was really nice to then see them asking me. Then what do you think makes a good leader? And you know, and that's a you know who has the answer to that question? You know, that's uh, that's something that everybody. Um, everybody researches and uh, and tries to to understand, but there's no. I don't think that there is one answer to to that question. No, there are thousands and thousands of books on the subject alone. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned personality, and that brought to mind the fact that you're quite passionate about the Hogan assessment tool. Uh, can you explain what that tool does and and why you admire it so much? Yes, um, it's one of the. Um, um, I, I would recommend every every trainer to do uh, the uh, the studying uh, on the side that can be done actually without any particular um, degree on um, both cognitive ability tests and uh, and personality tests. Um, so these are uh, two um, in tests and courses actually administered by the, the BPS. And um, they allow you to then administer uh, both um, cognitive ability assessments and personality assessments. Um, they will, um, you know, the BPS qualification will qualify you in using one personality tool. And then you can go out there and see the, the tools that you like the most. Um, I have um, um, I have a certification also in the, the TQ, which is uh, one of the most respectable uh, tests to 
discuss emotional intelligence um, with people. And Hogan is the one that I gave myself entirely to because um, Hogan does this. So imagine you um, you have to answer a questionnaire, um, but I come to you uh, with that um, you know with that questionnaire, but also with two envelopes, and I say to you give this one envelope to somebody who lives uh, very close to you in your private life, and then give this other envelope to somebody who works really closely with you. And uh, what those two envelopes contain is instructions for these people to describe you. So um, on one side, I have you um, answering a set of questions, but um, parallel to that, I have people who really know you professionally and personally describe you. And then what I do, I match those descriptions um, that these people do about you with the way you answered um, about the questions. And that's what um, the, um, the Hogan Corporation um, started doing um, decades ago, uh, but collecting actually um, a lot more information than that. So collecting um, 360 degree feedback, um, managers' interviews, appraisals, and um, and comments in general of people um, that talk about people that answer the questionnaire like you did. So what you end up having is um, a set of results uh, with Hogan that is um, produced, uh, created from a database of people that talk about people that answer like you. And that means you get a gigantically powerful uh, piece of feedback about how people perceive you. Now, the perception of people, the perception that people have of you makes or breaks your career. So from a professional point of view, uh, knowing what people would generally say about you when it comes to your strengths and when it comes to your derailers, which Hogan markets as the bright side and the dark side, is extremely interesting and insightful. Um, when I do my um, feedback sessions with uh, the clients uh, that answer the Hogan questionnaire, it's always interesting to notice how um, talking about uh, the strengths that other people perceive in them, but also talking about what other people think comes in the way of their own development, because you know that's the part of, about the derailers. So what do people say about you that might hinder your career? Just creates um, magic conversations, you know, like extremely powerful conversations about I know you're not like that, or I know you do not intend to come across like that, but why do you come across like that? I know you don't want to be aggressive, but why do you come off as aggressive? Why would most people say that under pressure, you tend to be uh, quite abrasive in the way you use um, your language? You know? Right. So these could be things like your blind spots or your perhaps unconscious biases. Yeah, unconscious biases in the test are actually in another part, which is the um, uh, the part that we call the the motives and values inventory. Um, so we we discuss them there. Um, I think it's more blind spots and uh, and strengths. Um, so it's more yeah, your your really the point the the strengths that you should use in order to. Um, advance uh, and keep projecting, you know, uh, great energy and the things that you should be aware of uh, because they they come across the wrong way. Right, and we all have them, I guess. We all we all have things we don't know we 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 do or the the effects we have on people at work. Uh, as you said, that's enough to influence our career. It's, it can have a huge effect on our personal success. 
Um, are there other tools you use besides Hogan? For example, uh, in thinking from from my experience, I've used MBTI, 16 personalities, uh, Fire OB, and, and uh, a little bit of Six Hats. What do you find is also something that a trainer, um, someone who works with organizations helping their senior team, what other tools could could that trainer find use from or find use in? Yeah, it's a, that's a very good question because I think, again, uh, here the, you know, the business psychologist angle uh, comes into play again. Um, so the, um, the, the Fire OB and 16FQ Plus or 15FQ Plus as well, um, these are all based on quite solid um, scientific models. Um, and more in general, they're based on the big five, um, the big five theory. Uh, now, although there's a lot, um, there's a lot more to um, the the big five. You know that um, we call those big five factors um, um, personality traits that are quite um, stable and uh, and consistent across um, all human beings, if you like. So these are um, characteristics that we expect all human beings. Um, to um, demonstrate on a scale of one to ten um, somewhere. Um, so these common traits, these common big five factors, usually um, originate um, a lot of subscales, um, subdimensions that um, certain tests um, explore, um, deciding to focus on one aspect or one or more aspects of of each dimension. So. I think every time we choose how to spend our money on qualifying to administer one tool or the other, we should look for um, scientifically solid models. So I mentioned I, I have a, um, um, uh, a qualification to use this uh, TQ, which is um, a tool that we use to discuss um, emotional, emotional um, um, awareness. So um, that also is based on um, is based largely on on personality traits. is It's derived um, from personality traits. And so every time a test uses um, scientifically solid models, uh, we should feel like fifty percent of our decision has been made. And then the other thing um, is um, validity and reliability. Every time we um, we decide whether or not we want to go for a test, we should um, check the manual. Now, the um, the best thing you can do is check with the BPS website. Um, so that's again the British Psychological Society. They review all the tests and do the hard work for you, um, and they will basically give you scores. Um, so for every test that you decide to um, apply to whatever training program you have. There are scores attached to it that say how um, how well how much the BPS rates um, that test. And in general, as a good practitioner, you should be looking for validity and reliability studies. In other words, validity uh, do the questions really measure what they say they measure. So have the publisher done enough um, research to demonstrate that if I ask you. Um, in what mood are you when you wake up in the morning um, is actually relevant to measuring what you say you want to measure. Because obviously, every time a test is put together, people ask themselves, okay, so we want to measure how emotionally stable this individual is. What questions are we going to ask um, to understand if 
that individual uh, comes across as, as somebody emotionally stable. And so the way those questions are phrased, the ways those questions are asked, um, that it, it needs to be valid. So it needs to be demonstrated that what they measure is actually what they say they measure. And then reliable, the reliability score, the reliability coefficient is uh, looking into those tests and understanding if um, they um, stay consistent uh, throughout time. So do they, um, if, I, if I take the question today and if I answer them today, and then if I answer them again uh, two years from now, um, are the results going to be more or less the same? And that makes the test reliable because it basically says it's not just measuring something that is happening to me right now. It's actually measuring something that is quite permanent and, and, and fixed uh, in the way I, um, I carry myself um, around. So, um, so that's it, I think. You know, look for BPS um, scores, but uh, more in general, look for um, scientifically solid models behind the, um, um, the test and then reliability and validity studies. Okay, I, sh I should also point out to our listeners that there are, th this is the UK-specific one, the British Psychological Society. There are, of course, equivalents in other parts of the world, in the US, in Australia, and where our listeners are in those major countries, including India and so on. There must be equivalents. So I might uh, see if I can find some links to the equivalents and put those in the show notes. In America, Mark, definitely the APA um, will do exactly the same job. So uh, the American Psychology Association. Uh, and I would say that, honestly, you know, the, the work that these two associations do um, is, is quite universal and valid. Um, you know, like this is science. So it's not necessarily related to um, the culture. I guess the only obstacle might be, um, is it available in your language? But otherwise, they're valid. You know, they're valid everywhere. So on on those topics, um, you, you've you've joined the board of the Association for Business Psychology recently. That's the ABP, uh, which you mentioned earlier in the conversation. Um, and I understand that your responsibility is for overseeing uh, learning and development or training. What what does the ABP do exactly? Yes. So the the Association for Business Psychology promotes um, the application of psychology to um, to the business. Um, it does so by um, doing a number of different initiatives. So I personally um, look after the training for the members, um, so mainly for the members and some, some training also for people who are not part of the association, but they're all about um, personal professional development for um professionals that are involved um, in applying business psychology to the workplace. Uh, more in general, though, we then also offer um, a lot of resources and um, information, articles, research about um, very hot topics, such as leadership, for example, but also well-being at work um, and any other um, relevant study from the academic um from the academic industry that is applicable and, and relevant for, um, um, for the business, for the industry. Um, we organize a lot of conferences and a lot of seminars for people who are interested in um, really a lot of different subjects. Um, just um, on the top of my, my head, I mean, I just um, attended a, um, 
a seminar um, in London on um, virtual learning and um, what the impact of um, remote um, uh, training um, is on participants uh, in a couple of uh, big, big organizations. We looked at a couple of case studies. Uh, we also organize uh, a big, big conference, which is happening in October this year um, in London. It's a two-day conference. The program is on the ABP website. Um, you, can, um, you can sign up to attend one day or two days and um, they are, you know, two days of, uh, of conferences and, and seminars and workshops uh, to discuss um, artificial intelligence or, uh, uh, yeah, or, or leadership or uh, um, well-being at work or what it means uh, to come back to, um, um, to work after, after pregnancy, uh, women in leadership. Any, any sort of um, um, topic uh, that is um, on everybody's lips at the moment. So that's one big conference that we do um, uh, in October. And we then um, also offer um, um, a, um, a certification in business psychology, which is uh, meant for all those individuals that uh, apply business psychology to their day-to-day -day work. It can be HR professionals, organizational development, trainer, coaches. Um, you basically um, uh, decide what project um, you want to be focusing on. And uh, you go through a mentorship program and then an assessment and evaluation um, phase where you demonstrate that you know how to apply the principles of business psychology to, um, to what you do. Um, so it's a it's a valid alternative uh, for all those who uh, don't want to uh, pursue you know the long uh, the long route into chartered um, occupational psychology status um, and um, just like the membership to the ABP it applies to anybody um, the the ABP is extremely inclusive and um, part of our remit is also to. Uh, just involve anybody uh, who actively works in our field um, to join and um, and 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 um, uh, get on board with this um, evidence-based um, approach. Um, so with this idea that um, psychology is there at your service um, to support you in your job and to to give you guidance. So um, anybody who uh, wants to take um, this to the next level um, can um, look up on the um, ABP website, um, look for uh, the certification material. There is a video uh, that um, shows you uh, the, uh, the basic principles of this, uh, um, of this route uh, into the uh, ABP certification. And um, there are also a couple of email addresses that you can use if you want to reach out and ask for more information. Sure. I'll include all those links in the show notes to the episode. So effectively, just to summarize what you're saying, if I've understood you correctly, someone who is in training like myself uh, and yourself, someone who is a coach, uh, could actually approach the ABP to start this track in becoming uh, a certified business psychologist. Yes, yes. Um, but even more than that, even before that, I think uh, it's important to remind uh, all the listeners that anybody who uh, is in this line of work uh, can apply to become a member. Um, and that's probably the first, uh, um, the first step you should, you should take. Um, there's a, uh, an annual membership um, program. Um, if you have been in 
this line of work for at least two, three years, you can apply as an associate member. Um, that will give you access to a number of benefits, including attending most of our events for free. Um, there's even um, a lot of virtual um, training that we run. So that's accessible in the form of webinars um, to anybody anywhere in the world. So membership is probably the first um, step um, to take. And then um, the second is probably starting thinking, you know, do I want to go um, through this um, certification process? Um, it's actually really good because it gives you access to a lot of very well-experienced professionals uh, who will guide you um, throughout um, throughout the program. And I think, you know, rather than just thinking about it as a title uh, that you can put on your CV, uh, you should also rate um, the experience of um, getting to that certification because I think the journey to it uh, really is going to make you um, progress um, further. Okay, well, that, that sounds like... Um uh, a really attractive proposition. Uh, to be clear, is this a program which is open to people from outside the UK? It is as well, yes, yes. Right, so it's international focus. Okay, mm -hmm. Look, where can our listeners then find out more about you personally, Gab, and your, your work? Well, I do have um, a LinkedIn uh, profile, of course. Um, so maybe you'll, uh, you'll attach uh, my, my LinkedIn um, URL um, to this podcast, but also I have a website, which is www.thebpn, so the Business Psychology Network, just abbreviate it, thebpn.co.uk. And there uh, you can see all of the things that I do, uh, read a short bio. Um, but yeah, um, if anybody wants to reach out, any anybody needs further information or just wants to uh, connect, I am, I'm always available. I'm always happy to um, um, share experiences, chat, and um, and see where it goes. Yeah, you never know. You might get some people contacting you after this episode looking for more information on membership and, of course, on the certification route. Absolutely, yes. Or you might end up doing a podcast, you know? <laughs> Gab, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Take care. That's a wrap for today. Gab, thank you for your time, particularly since you were on holiday uh, as we spoke to you today live from the Mediterranean. And thanks, of course, to you, our listeners, for taking the time out of your busy week to listen to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. We'd love you to subscribe to the show, and you can do so by checking out the podcast and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on our website, trainingbusiness.com. You can even subscribe to the list or email list, which will help us to keep you informed of upcoming episodes, both public episodes and VIP episodes, which we'll only tell you about if you're subscribed to our mailing list. There's motivation for you. So once again, if you could leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, this will help us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests whose expertise and I suppose training business journey experience, warts and all, can help you with your training business journey. Next week now, we have the last episode of the year, this being 2018. And it's very important that to make sense of next year, which is 2019, that we have some kind of retrospective on this year in order to have some kind of perspective 
on next year. Does that make sense? Now, uh, there will be a worksheet to download so you can follow along. If you're listening to this episode at some point in the future and you haven't got the link, you can, of course, use the form on our website, which is trainingbusiness.com, to contact us and we'd be more than happy to provide you with a copy of that worksheet for episode 20. So until next Thursday, the last episode of this year, take care and have a great training business week. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.